Lord, we come before you and ask you just to bless this time as we open your word and we look at it and and just see a sad time for the family and Israel as, as they approach the promised land. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Okay, Numbers 20. This is a time when the 40-year wandering is getting close to being over. And then we have the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically just one long sermon from Moses on rebuilding, refreshing their minds as they get ready to go into the promised land. But we're going to start seeing things happen here in and, and chapter 20, verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole con- congregation, unto the desert in, in Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spoke, saying, Would God that we had died with our brethren when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought us up in the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, and that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. We're going to stop there. Uh, this is the same old story. Whining about everything. Whining, <laughs> whining, 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 complaining and complaining. Murmuring. Uh, the, the, the verse starts out, Miriam's dead. Okay, Miriam has died. No, no commentary on why she died. No commentary on, on anything about it, just that she died. Now, she is the oldest, and she, she's passed away. So this does tell us that we're moving close to the end, and we're, gonna very, we're very close to the end of Numbers, and Numbers is that end of the wandering. And then in Deuteronomy, it's Moses just reiterating everything he's ever taught them. Basically, it's Exodus repeated (laughs) and a little bit of Leviticus repeated. So, but he goes over their history and he's going to share with them. But here, Miriam is dead. We're starting to see old age striking close to home for Moses. And you got to remember, Moses is no spring chicken himself. Okay. He had 40 years in Egypt before he committed the, the murder and got kicked out. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert with taking care of uh, Jethro's uh, sheep and, and, his, and, and, and they're in Midian. And then he had 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So he lived to be 120. And we're close to the end of his life. So Miriam, being older than him, has way up there in years too so she is just dying of old age most likely Uh, and so this is a time that the congregation is going to see her they bury her and then the congregation starts complaining no water they're same old song god gave us water before but now we don't have water what's wrong with you why aren't where are we going to get water from and they did what they always do when they're, when they're murmuring and complaining. They go to Moses and gripe at him and blame him. As if Moses had the power to do any of the things that ever brought them out. And the, the people, you know, this is what happens. People will always attack somebody who really has nothing to do with it. 
Now, the church starts moving forward for God, and then somebody will get upset that things just, that Satan counterattacks and things seem to go wrong, and they'll start, the one they'll blame, of course, is the pastor. God's moving, but they'll blame the pastor or any other leader that is out there. Moses keeps getting attacked. Yeah. As if he caused 10 plagues in Egypt, as if he gave them water and quail and, and all these other things that he's done. And so, but he is the one that keeps getting attacked. And we already know Moses has a temper problem and we're gonna see his temper strike because this is, this is the chapter where he's gonna be doing what gets him not allowed to go into the promised land. It was, he was supposed to go into the promised land. He was originally supposed to lead the people into the promised land. And this sin of his is going to be the, what keeps him out. So they attacked Moses and Aaron, and the people chode with Moses and said, Would to God that we had died with our brethren before the Lord. We've, we've, outlived our, we've outlived our life, and now we're here dying of thirst. And they probably weren't even close to dying of thirst, because you know, that's the other thing, is usually people start attacking long before there's any real problem. And we've all probably done that ourselves with God. You know, complained again to God about how bad things were. God, I'm dying. I'm just, you know, I, I'm totally broke. And God said, no, you're not. You're not out on the street living in the, living and eating out of the dumpster yet. And most of us have never been to that point of being broke. Thank God. But we'll tell God we're broke. We have no money. I hear it a lot of times when people will say, well, I just have no money. I can't pay bills. I can't buy this. Well, how much money are you wasting? And this is something we had to do a lot of times when I was in charge of the benevolence co uh, in, in College Park. Uh, okay, you don't have the money to pay this. Where are you using all your money? You find somebody, you know, there's a family that I know that they were always asking for money. And they would buy six 24 packs of soda at the beginning of the year when they had uh, the beginning of each month when they had money and all these other things it's like okay if you hadn't spent <laughs> that money you probably could afford the toilet paper and the cat food and and all the other stuff that you're begging people to buy for you because you wasted your money I have no sympathy when people waste a lot of money because what's called opportunity cost they they bought this instead of that <laughs> if they didn't have enough money that's one thing but the people, I am sure they weren't dying of thirst yet. They might have been a little thirsty. They might not have had all the water they wanted. But I'm sure they weren't dying. Because God was meeting their needs. And yet they're, with, they're in front of Moses and Aaron. We're dying and it's all your fault. They go, and why have you brought us the up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness where we and our cattle should die here? And wherefore have you made us to come out of, the, out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place where no seed, no figs, no wine, no vines, no pomegranates, neither is there water to drink. Okay, so we're going to look at this statement. We're 30 to 40 years into the wilderness wanderings, and these people are griping about having left Egypt. Okay, these people probably don't even remember Egypt, really, because only those 20 and, and below were going to go into the promised land. So they might have been just old enough to barely remember. And you think about this, but they don't even remember how bad it was because they were children. When they left Egypt, they were children. They weren't being made to work. They weren't, they weren't having all the struggles. And yet they're saying, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? 
But their fathers and mothers had done the same thing. Why did you take us out of Egypt? We had plenty of food. We, we could eat all the garlic and leeks and onions and melons that we wanted. Now, forget the fact that we were being beat every day and, and forced to do all this labor, but we could eat. I don't think they ate near as good as they th remembered themselves eating. I could probably get tired of eating, eating manna every morning myself. I mean, I, I can understand even something that is good, if you're eating it for 40 years, you're going to get tired of. But you got to remember, they got tired of it a lot quicker than that. I mean, they had been just slightly more than a year when they started griping about eating manna. Yeah, and there is that time when some, if you have the same thing all the time, there is that point where it just gets old and tired in it. No matter what you do to it, it tastes the same. And back to being willing to be grateful. You know, how many times are we not grateful for the little things that God gives us that meets our needs? Because it's not what we wanted. And if, you know, we have to be very careful of expectations. We can get our expectations set on something and end up ruining a blessing because our expectation was for something other than what we got. And we see this sometimes at Christmas time, when, you know, when you, when, either when we were a kid or maybe when you gave your children gifts and it wasn't what they wanted or what you wanted. And it was a wonderful gift a lot of times, but it just wasn't what you wanted and you and you look down on it because it wasn't right. We do that oftentimes with God, where we just look at it and say, oh, it's not what I wanted. And they're looking at that kind of stuff right here. Oh, it's not what we wanted. We don't, we don't have an overabundance of water, so we're dying. And Moses, and, and here's going in and it says, There's no, there, it is no place of seed or figs or a vine or pomegranates. Where were they going? They were going to the promised land, right? And here they are wandering around there and they're not in the promised land. And they're comparing the wandering land that they're in to the promised land. And we need to be careful of that. Never compare our end in heaven with, with what we have here on earth. Because even if we have great blessings here on earth, they're gonna pale compared to the blessings of heaven. We either get to the place where we undervalue what we have because we're expecting the paradise or just as bad as we overvalue what we have on this earth and undervalue what's going to be in heaven and try to hold too tightly on to what we have. And when we do that, God will pry our fingers off of it and take it away because he doesn't want us overvaluing this world. He wants us to always remember we are strangers in this world. We are just passing through. It's not our home. We have a home in heaven yet to come. And we can't sit here and value what's on this earth and, and grab hold of it and hold on tight to it. Uh, heard one of the pastors say, you know, we act like the, the child is so busy playing in the, in the mud in front of the yard that doesn't want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> you know, because they're having too much fun playing in the yard, even though they've been waiting anxiously for their trip, but they're having so much fun with nothing that they're ready to sacrifice the, the real goal. And we will do the same thing often. Grabbing hold to the little mud, the mud uh, and, and rocks that we have instead of the preciousness that God has for us in the future. And going, God, don't take this away from me. He's going, well, I got better for you. And we're going, but I'm happy. I, I like what I have. And then when he finally drags us to where we're supposed to be, we're going, oh, yeah, I like this so much better. And then sometimes we grab onto that too tightly and hold on too tightly to it. 
while he's trying to move us to the next higher level. And this is the thing, we as humans do not like change. I've, I've seen it for many years in the business world. Every time you make change, people gripe and complain and argue and we like what we're doing, we know what we're going to, but this will make life easier for you if you'll just make the change and get used to it. Uh, I've, I've worked in a place where we were trying to automize something and the individual just wanted to hold on to the old way of doing things and would not change. And it's like, but this will make your job easier. You don't have to add, enter things five times into the computer in different programs. You enter it here and it will do everything for you. Well, no, I like what I'm doing. Okay, because people get stuck and they're not willing to make that change. It will make life easier because that's not the way we've done it. I like the way we've always done it. And we need to be careful with God because God's going to keep saying, well, I've got better for you. The song, I've got a mansion on, on the hilltop. In that bright land where things never grow old, and yet oftentimes we will sit here and hold on to what we have in this world as if it's the most valuable thing in the world, nothing. Jesus said our salvation is our most valuable thing we have on this world. Why? Because it puts us into heaven. And we need to be willing to give up everything and anything for our God and our salvation. And this is where, we, where I keep talking about the disciples when they would be beat and, and suffer persecution their answer was always the same thing. Thank God he's deemed me worthy of suffering. We need that attitude. When we're suffering on this earth, thank you God you, you, you've, you've decided that I was worthy of it. Because if he didn't think we could persevere through it, he wouldn't allow it to happen. So when it happens to us, he's saying, I'm gonna, you're willing to persevere. I think you can do it. So when we go through really hard times, we need to change the way we're looking at it. Usually we think, oh, this is terrible, it's awful, it's, it's miserable. If our answer was, God obviously thinks that, that he and I can handle this, I'm just going to enjoy what is going, he's, he's allowed me to suffer for him. And that'll change the way you go through any, any suffering. Because it's no longer beating you over the head, it's, oh, thank you, God, you've allowed me to, you've allowed me to do this. We're going to come to a point where when we serve him, we're going to actually suffer and be persecuted. Mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're at the end times, and I believe that we are, oh, we are, we're going to suffer. There will come a point where we're going to suffer. I was sharing with a young man at the prison the other day that one day I, I expect that I will be behind bars because of my Christian faith. I go, I teach that homosexuality is a sin and that adultery is a sin and fornication is a sin. I go, I don't back away from that and I'm sure that that will put me into jail at some point in the near future. Uh, abortion being, being murder. So all of these things will eventually put me behind the bars that I'm right now ministering behind. I've already, I've, I've already said from the time I was a teenager I believed that I would be in jail for being a Christian. I've always believed that. I never believed I would be overseas. When I first started believing that in the 60s and 70s, you know, 60s and 70s, that was an unheard of thing. Nobody would go to jail for being a Christian in the 70s. And yet, in my mind, I knew at some point in my life that I was going to be jailed for being a Christian. And as we get closer and closer to the way things are going, I'm going, <laughs> okay, I, I see now that it can very easily happen. Our, our hate speech laws were built on the, the hate speech laws in Canada and pastors are going to jail in Canada 
for saying that homosexuality is a sin and that fornication and adultery are sin. And they're going to jail because they're taking a stand on what God says. And then we're just a step away. From and we're so close to that same, same. We we built our laws on the same, same principles. We brought in hate speech just like they did, and so it won't be long before it will happen. And I, I bring this up not to say that it's going you know to to lift me up, but to say get ready, mm -hmm. get ready. There's going to be hard choices in the near future, to say. I recant what I say so that I don't go to jail or stay with what you believe and go to jail or worse because the end times are here and times are going to get hard. The church will suffer. Jesus said they hated me, they will hate you. And here in America we have been so blessed. We don't know how blessed we've been to be able to say what we want about God and to speak about God and to say that what he says is a sin is a sin and not be jailed or persecuted or at least or the very least isolated from places we don't know the blessings that we have and it's coming close to being ending we're seeing we're seeing it already we're seeing it already out there that christians can't speak on campuses because they're because they're so offensive to say that something was a sin yeah, pledge of allegiance yeah so all of this is coming now back to Moses and his being attacked. I, you know, Moses had one of the greatest habits of, of any great leader. In verse 6, Moses and Aaron went to the present, out of the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle and congregation, and they fell on their faces. All through these books, Moses keeps falling on, falling on his face. They attack him, he goes to God and just falls on his face. Over and over, and that's his, that's his habit. They attack, he goes to God. <laughs> he doesn't try to stand there and defend himself. He doesn't try to reason with the people. He goes and he talks to God. And then God quite often will say, okay, stand aside, I'm going to destroy them all and start all over with you. He said, he said that three times already as well. <laughs> that's not what he's going to say this time. <laughs> but... He has said that over and over to Moses, you know, stand aside and I'll just, I'll wipe them all out and I'll just start over with you. And, but then it said at the very end of verse six, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful that when you fall on your face that the glory of the Lord shone around you? Yeah. Not that you had to feel his presence, but you saw that he was there. Verse seven, and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Take the rod and gather you the assembly together, you and your brother Aaron, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And you shall bring forth to them water out of the rock, so you shall give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. All right, we see Moses' anger flaring up here. God tells him, take your rod, and what is he supposed to do to the, to the rock? Speak. He's just to say, come forth. The water before... In number 17, he actually struck the rock and the waters came gushing out. And, when, and we talked about that particular event and this one. 
three and a half million people approximately, all of their animals are getting watered. Can you imagine how much water comes out of these rocks? We're not talking a trickle. We're not talking a little drizzle of water. We're not even talking about a hose type, you know, spick of just running water. We're talking about a torrent of river to feed, uh, to, to give three and a half million people water. Okay, we're not talking about a little tiny stream. When this rock lose, lets loose water, it is a flow of water and it must be to feed. Now it doesn't tell us that it's a torrent of water, but it can't be anything but. It said all the people and all the beasts got their fill of water. Okay, that's a lot of water. Now, if you think about it, three and a half million people, if all they did was take one quart each, and that's not enough to really satiate your thirst, that's a lot of water. Okay, a whole lot of water. And it says they're getting plenty of water from this rock. And you know, we look at this, and what does Moses say when he talks to the people? He says, here now, you rebels, must we fetch water for out of this rock? Must we fetch? Not, can God give you the water, or shall God give you this? But, you know, watch and see what Aaron and I can do. He's lifting himself up. This is something he doesn't usually do. He usually has stayed humble. And yet here... His anger is against these people. He's had 40 years or close to 40 years of them grumbling and griping at him. And he's a little worn down. Yeah. He's, he's, he's up there around 100, 116, 117, 118, somewhere around 120. He's a, probably a little grumpy <laughs> and worn out. And these people have done the same thing over and over and over and over again. And isn't that something that can sometimes make us get a little grumpy when the same thing is done over and over and over and over again? And they never learn. And they never learn. They never change. And the, the story might change just a little bit, but it's still the same problem, and they don't, they're not learning. And here Moses makes a big mistake. He strikes the rock. And... And he doesn't even just strike it once. He strikes it twice. But they're seeing the striking of the rock causing the water to come when if he had just spoke it, God wanted him to see himself, God, bringing forth the water. Well, the, the rock is a, is a picture of Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ was struck once, not twice. He was punished once, and after that, he spoke the Holy Spirit out for flowing water. So Moses blew the picture that God was wanting to show. Strike the rock. That was Jesus being struck. That was the first one, the first time, a few chapters back. And the waters came out. The second time was the speaking where the Holy Spirit was supposed to draw out the water. And he struck it twice. Not only just struck it once, but you know, which would have been bad enough, but struck it twice. The beauty here is that God still honored him and gave him the water. Even though he sinned, even though he messed up the, 
the picture that it was supposed to be, God went ahead and gave them the water. Because they would have killed Moses at this point, probably, if they, the water hadn't been. But God was faithful and gave them the water anyway. So, and it says, the congregation drank and their, bang, and their beast also. And again, I just point out, you know, three and a half million people, that's a lot of people. This is not just a small trickle out of a, out of a rock. It's not just a little, uh, you know, like a little pipe out of an artesian well dropping water down and they sat there with their little buckets, you know, all day trying to fill their bucket up. This is, <laughs> this is a lot of water. It's a flowing river that comes out of this. Verse 12, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given you. Because of the, this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. The penalty. There's always a penalty for disobedience with God. And this is something we have to realize. When we disobey God, there will be a punishment. Moses' punishment was sometime in the future. Moses, you will not enter the promised land. That's quite, a, that's quite a punishment for somebody who's been serving the Lord for 40 years. Faithfully. Faithfully, leading a very rebellious people. And then at the very end... He stepped off the path and got punished. That's so scary. And this is critical. We are to finish well. We need to really challenge ourselves to finish well. And we see so many people who don't finish well in the scriptures. And this is, needs to be our great desire of our heart. Lord, I want to finish well. Paul said, God, I have finished all that you've given me to, to do. I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering on that final step on my way out. I'm ready to be poured out. His whole desire was to preach, to give the gospel to Caesar. That was all he wanted to do. He was very sure that Caesar wasn't going to listen, but all he wanted to do was have that opportunity to give the gospel to Caesar and said, okay, I'm done. We need to keep that in mind. Finish well. And I can tell you over the years, and this is something that does scare me a lot, because I've seen some very strong, good Christian men and women that at the end of their life didn't finish well. They, they retired from work and they retired from God and said, I just, you know, we'll let the young people take over. Well, yes, there's a point where the younger people need to take over most of what's going on, but they still need mentors. They still need examples. And I've watched these men and women of God who have just wasted away and usually stepping off into sin because it's, it, even at that age, if you're not going forward with God, you're going to go backwards. It's no standing still with God. You either go forward or you go back. And we need to be careful. We, are to, we need to desire to finish well. Stay strong with God and moving forward with Him and whatever it is He asks us to do. May it be less work? Probably, as our strength dwindles, he'll be less work. But we need to be careful that we're not Moses, where we, we get so mad at somebody because they're not learning fast enough that we hurt, hurt them. 
And I've seen that happen in many cases where somebody goes, I just don't understand why you're so slow and start, you know, attacking them. And, you know, you're not growing fast enough. You're not, you know, you're not learning this stuff and devastate some young Christian because of their impatience. And sometimes it's honest impatience. They want somebody to take over for them and that person's just not developing fast enough in their eyes. And, but we need to be careful to finish well, to not fall from the path at the end, to not stumble as we're coming up on the finish line. Many races are lost by, by people stumbling on those last few steps and they lose the race because they stumbled, because they lost focus on what they were doing. Here we are with Moses, he lost focus. God said, speak. And he looked out at the people as they murmured, and, and you can picture it. You know, he's looking out and they're murmuring and griping, and, and God said, speak, and he just all of a sudden just lets loose with his anger. It was his anger that got him kicked out of Egypt when, when the Egyptian was beating the, the Israelite slave and he killed the he killed the Egyptian and buried him. You know, it was his anger that caused other problems in his lifetime, but this one was the big one that God said, This is it. <laughs> your, your, your anger is taking you for the last time. You're not going to go into the promised land. Because you messed up my picture. You picture you messed up the picture I was trying to put of the people of Jesus. And he was told, No, you cannot go into the promised land. And you can picture this. Moses has been wandering around with these people for 40 years. He's been looking forward to the promised land. Yeah. Ever since he saw the, the cluster of grapes that had to be carried on a staff between two people, pomegranates that they were holding, and all this fruit that was so big and was definitely the fruit of the promised land. And now he's not going to get to enter in because of his anger that he let loose. Verse 14, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus saith your brother Israel, You know all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when, he, when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and had brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city at the uttermost of your borders. Let us pass, I pray you, through your country, and we will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway, and we will not turn to the right hand or the left until we have passed your borders. And Edom said unto him, You shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with a sword. And the children of Israel said unto them, We will go by the highway, we will, and if I and my cattle drink of your water, then we will pay for it. I only, without doing anything else, go on my feet. And he said, Thus you, you shall not go through. And Edom came out against them with much people and a strong hand. And Edom refused to give Israel passage through the, his border. Therefore Israel turned away from him. Okay, anybody know who Edom is? Esau. Esau. Yep. And he's saying, you know, they're going, let us just pass through. We just want to go straight through your land. We'll stay on the roads. We'll stay on the highways. We won't walk through your fields. We won't, won't destroy your stuff. Just let us 
stay on the highway. And we've talked often about this, that, you know, we, we in Kingman and everything, we kind of understand that there's roads and stuff through the deserts and through the mountains. Even before, even before man came and made, made, a, made a way through all the stuff, they've always been the natural ways that wander around through the desert that the animals take. And then men have come along and they've broadened them out and they've smoothed them out a bit and made actual roads, sometimes better roads, sometimes not so good roads. But there have been roads through the desert. And in Israel in the old days, and we see it in the scriptures, make straight the road, smooth out the hills of the road. That literally is what they would do when the king was getting ready to come out to, the, to, the, uh, to visit. They would go out to the roads. They would smooth them out, get the bumps out of the road because the king was coming. You don't want the king to stumble. You don't want his animal to stumble. You don't want a bump in the road to, to make it look bad. You would smooth out the road. You would lower the bumps and the knolls and all of that. Here there, there's roads for them to follow and they're saying, eat them, just let us go through. We'll stay on the roads. We promise we'll stay on the roads and if by any chance we damage anything, we'll pay for it. Not a bad deal. But they were told, no, you don't come. And God had already told them not to touch Edom because Edom was promised territory. When, when Ishmael was born and he pulled aside, Abraham went to God and said, bless Ishmael. And God's promise was that he would bless Ishmael. So all of the Arabs out there that are from the seed of Ishmael are Abraham's fault. <laughs> Two ways. Number one, he had the affair with Hagar to, to bring this child into existence. And then he begged God to bless him. And God did. And then Esau, being Jacob's twin brother, married Ishmael's daughter, tying more antagonism together. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Lot's children, which was Abraham's disobedience to bring Lot out of the Ur of Chaldees. And they're going to be a, a thorn in the side of the flesh of Israel. All because of disobedience. Sometimes our disobedience is not just an immediate dis punishment. It may have long-term consequences on our family. And this is something we have to be very careful of, especially fathers, because they are the head of the house. When they bring disobedience, they can bring a long-term punishment upon the family, as well as short-term, but also long-term. This is why it is serious to be obedient to God and to not have these long-term consequences that are out there. And I'm not saying that those... Others, people aren't responsible for their decision-making. They are, but, but it's still long-term. It's very interesting when you'll see children and grandchildren doing what the, the fathers and the grandfathers did without even knowing what they did. Mm -hmm. Bad spending habits or alcohol or drugs or uh, a whole series of get-rich-quick schemes that, that go on. Uh, or as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob running away from problems as, as often as they could and not facing them and letting them get bigger by not facing them. Long periods of generational activity going on. 
very critical that we be careful what activities we show to our children, our grandchildren. They need to see God. They need to see God lifted up. They need to be drawn toward God, not shown sinful lifestyle for them to get hold of. But I also have this tendency to believe that some of the sinful activities and, and thoughts get put into the DNA of the children as well. Because you don't see, you know, and I, and I can tell you, there's things that, that I do that my father did that I'm just finding out that my father did. That I never, never knew. And I've watched other families where this happens. Uh, people trying to get rich, always trying to look for that next good deal. You know, don't forget putting the money in the bank and letting it save. You know, let me go. You know, I'll try this get rich quick scheme. I'll try this quick get rich quick get rich quick scheme. And then their kids do it, and their kid, grandkids do it. You know, why? Because it's that example that's put down in front of them, and we see it over and over again how people's sins will pass down. But Edom tells them. You will not go. And they beg them. They keep sending their people back. You know, please, we'll, we'll stay on the highway. We'll pay. We'll, we'll pay the tolls. Whatever it is you want, we'll, we'll do. And finally, Edom says, you're not coming out and rides out against them, saying, try to cross my borders, and we're going to go to war. And God does not allow them to fight Edom. Verse 22, And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came into Mount Hor, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up unto the Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up on Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and, all, and when all of the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, even all the house of Israel." So here's the death of Aaron. Again, Aaron is up there in years as well because he's older than Moses, Moses as well. So he's, he's 120, 100, you know, 125, somewhere in that, that place. And so they're all, getting, they're all getting up there in years. And they go up to the mountain. God says, go up to Mount Hor. And we don't know where this mountain is other than it's somewhere where Edom is, which was on the southeast side of Israel. Yes, Andy? But where the people were, where they could, they watched all of this happening. Am I right? Am I reading this right? It sounds like they watched them go up and come down without seeing the, the details of it. But it sounds like Aaron took, Moses took Aaron's clothes off, or his holy robe yeah. stuff, and put them on his son, and then he dropped dead. Sounds like it. Yeah. Somewhere up on the top of the mountain. That is what it says. Wow. So... They were, they were climbing up there, and, and again, the punishment. We're seeing this, the punishment. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see the punishment of Moses here before this chapter ends. But he says, take Aaron up. Aaron's, Aaron's not going to go into the promised land either. Take his son, the next in line for the high priest. 
and take the high priestly garments off and give them to Eliezer with all the appropriate anointings and probably all happening at that time. And Eliezer and Aaron and Moses come back down. And it just says that, Mo that Aaron died on the mountain. <laughs> doesn't say that they buried him, doesn't say any of that. Eliezer couldn't have buried him because he was dedicated as the high priest. So if anybody did bury him, it would have been Moses. And anybody, it doesn't say anybody else went up there. So Or God himself, because or, God buried Moses. Yeah, it's possible. And so they came down and the people mourned for 30 days. They mourned for Aaron for 30 days. There had to be some love for him. I mean, he's been their high priest, you know, whatever that meant, you know, as far as high priest to the, to the people. But for 40, some, you know, almost 40 years, he has been the religious leader. And I don't believe God would have let him remain the religious leader if he didn't have the heart to lead, lead the people, if he didn't have the ability to share whatever teaching that he needed to teach with them. And he is the one that they're being looked at. He has been their leader. He dies and they mourn for 30 days in Kadesh, or outside of Edom, Mount Hor, excuse me. And Again, we don't know exactly where Mount Hor is. We do know that it's somewhere on the southeast, southeast portion over the, on the other side of Jordan because that's where Edom was. They were down in that south, southeast portion on the other side of Israel. But Moses' family is dying. Moses' family is all dying out. His sister's dead. His brother's dead. His parents are dead, obviously, at this point. <laughs> Uh, he is alone now. And for people who have been, been around, they know how, how it can be lonely when, when your family starts dying around you and your friends start dying. And you start really beginning to understand your mortality and saying, wow, it's close. And we see that with, with families as more and more people die in their families and the people going, oh. And I hear, even like from my mom, she'll, she'll comment that there's only three of the girls left, you know, it's, they're all passing away. Well, they, when my mom went to the doctor with her kidney problems, she said, Ma, you about, you about lived the rest of all your family. And that depressed her. Well, yeah. From our Michael family's past, and he's, my dad used to say, we're the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. <laughs> we're the last of the family. But we have Moses here. He's the last one in his family. He's the last one of his immediate family. He's got his kids, and you know Aaron's kids, and probably Miriam had kids. You know, it doesn't say that, but you know she probably had kids. So he's got just the younger generation now. And for most, for the, you've got to think about this: most of that younger generation has died because they were over twenty, and yet less than forty. <laughs> Be so, so they, they, he's, he's seen, he is now seeing his children probably pass, passing out, passing away because they're part of the generation that's not going in. He's going to see maybe even his grandkids, many of his grandkids at 120, pass away because they're over the, they're over that 40 year mark. You know, it's his great grandkids that are going into the promised land. He's seen a lot of people passing away of his own family. Of the three and a half million, 
of the three and a half million and it's being replaced. Mm -hmm. And he's also seeing his immediate family dying. And he know and we and because we know that nobody over that was over twenty is going to go in to the promised land. We're seeing a lot of people passing away at this point. And he's seen a lot of death. And now God is saying, you're not going to get a, you know, you've watched all this death. We really had planned on you leading, leading the people at least into it. You wasn't going to live long in it, but you're now not going. And your brother's not going. And your sister's not going. The rest of your family's been dropping like flies as we've been walking around, but now your immediate family is starting to pass away as well. And you start seeing that he's going to suffer. Right now he's all alone. We've got a lot more coming as we go forward. But he is seeing his mortality and God has promised you're not going in. Now he's going to beg and, get, and God's going to say, no, you're not going in, but I'll let you see the promised land from afar. And that's when he'll go up on Mount Pishar and look into the promised land. You may have just looked in and saw how far and how beautiful it was. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you that you do forgive us of our sins. We ask that you help us to finish well. Do not let us stumble at the finish line. Do not let us not cross into the victory you have for us in this, in this life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.